Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great God, be exalted. May your word have full course to do all you've purposed for it to accomplish. We thank you, your word never returns to you void. It accomplishes that which you desire. We ask for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time back, a poll was taken here in America. A single question was asked, what is your greatest fear? There was a number of answers, but coming in at number two was death. Number one was public speaking. I guess that means that at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than having to give the eulogy. The fear of death is a constant companion. Samuel Taylor Coleridge penned some chilling words of poetry. He likened man to someone stalked by death on an empty road. Here are his words from the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Like one that on a lonesome road doth walk in fear and dread, and having once turned around, walks on and turns no more his head, because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread. Kent Hughes comments that indeed the fear of death is endemic to the human race. It keeps dogging man's steps, whether he ignores it or turns and attempts to stare it down. The Bible has much to say about death. Death, according to the Bible, is wages. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Just as you might work for an employer and are paid wages, what we have earned by our labor is death in the sight of God. The verse goes on to say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything relates back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, where God warned man, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Literally, dying you shall die. Death is an enemy, and the fear of death is bondage. As long as we're afraid of death, we're actually slaves. Death is a kind of slavery. How so? Well, think this through. If we're fearful of death, anyone who can threaten us with death can get us to do what he wants us to do. 
just put a gun against our head and we'll do what we wouldn't have done without that fear residing in our hearts. That's a solemn thought, isn't it? Anyone who can threaten us with death, if we're involved in the fear of death, can get us to do what he wants us to do. There are some that face death with a lot of bravado. Bravado is a word that means pretense, bravery. It's a denial of reality. It's a cover-up. The 90-year-old novelist, Somerset Morgan, denied that he was involved in the fear of death. In the last chapters of his memoirs, A Traveler in Romance, he wrote this. There are moments when I have no when I have so palpating, let me start again. There are moments when I have so palpitating an eagerness for death that I could fly to it as to the arms of a lover. I am drunk with the thought of it. It seems to me to offer the final and absolute freedom. There are indeed days when I feel that I've done, done everything too often, known too many people, read too many books, seen too many pictures, statues, churches and fine houses and listen to too much music. I neither believe in immortality nor desire it. I should like to die quietly and painlessly and I'm content to be assured that with my last breath, my soul, with its aspirations and its weaknesses, will dissolve into nothingness. End of quote. Well, he had a lot of uh, bravado, but how did he actually die? In 1965, in his 91st year, he was visited by his nephew, Robin Maugham, who wrote of it in the April 9, 1978 London Times. According to his nephew, the visit took place at his famous uncle's Mediterranean villa shortly shortly before he died. After his arrival, Robin spent the day viewing, among other things, the drawing room and the immensely valuable pictures and objects his uncle's success has enabled him to acquire. Somerset had 11 servants, including his cook, Annette, who was the envy of all the other millionaires on the Riviera. He dined on silver plates and was waited on by Marius, his butler, and Henry, his footman. But none of that any longer meant anything to him. His nephew writes these words. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his spectacles at a Bible, which had very large prints. He looked horribly wizened, and his face was grim. I've been reading the Bible you gave me, and I've come across the quotation, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I must tell you, my dear Robin, that the text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. Of course, it's all a lot of bunk, but the thought is quite interesting all the same. That evening in the drawing room after dinner, Willie flung himself down onto the sofa. Oh, Robin, I'm so tired. He gave a gulp and buried his head in his hands. Willie looked up and his grip tightened on my hands. He was staring towards the floor. His face was contorted with fear and he was trembling violently. Willie's face was ashen as he stared in horror ahead of him. Suddenly he began to shriek. Go away, he cried. I'm not ready. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet, I tell you. His high-pitched, terror-struck voice seemed to echo from wall to wall 
I looked round, but the room was empty as before. A lot of bravado, but when death came, he was not that brave. In our text before us in verse 14, we have these words, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel story. God became a man in every sense of what it means to be a man. The Word became flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Son of God became the Son of Man that the sons of men might become the sons of God. He is true God, truly God, and truly man. He's very God of very God as the Nicene Creed portrays Him and also very man of very man. That's the main point of the passage before us that begins in verse 5 of this chapter of Hebrews 2. Jesus became all that we are, flesh and blood, yet without sin. His solidarity with us is total. He partook of the same. Do you see that in the text? He partook of the same. He didn't merely come close to it. He partook of it in total. Blood and flesh is actually the word order in the original. This is no mere empty rhetoric. This is no exaggeration. God became a man. The cults, both in our day and in former days and in the first century, miss it with uh, the truth. They miss the truth because there's a roadway of truth and a ditch on either side regarding the person of Christ. Some deny on one ditch the divinity of Christ, some deny the humanity of Christ. There was a group of people called the, the Docetists from the Greek word dokeia, which means to appear. And their idea was Jesus was someone who appeared to be a man, but wasn't really because it would be beneath the dignity of God to become flesh. And First John is filled with that. Who's the one who's the Antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus Christ has, fill it out for me, come in the flesh. It was a first century heresy. In our day, many believe Jesus was merely a man, but not God. It's interesting, but those are both ditches that are outside the road of orthodoxy and outside the road of truth. But Jesus' solidarity with us was total, just as his solidarity with God was total. He was and is God, and he became a man. His identification with us is total and real. And therefore, his victory over death is total and real. Look at verse 14. We read these words. He partook of flesh and blood. Verse 17. Made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 18. He suffered and was tempted as a man. The entire text, both before verse 14 and then through to verse 18 is about the humanity of Christ, just as chapter 1 is about the deity of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus broke the devil's hold. He liberated a humanity that is in him. In Christ Jesus, in him, are phrases found repeatedly in the New Testament over a hundred times. And if you're in him, he defeated death for you. He made propitiation for our sins. He's able to help us in our suffering when we're tempted. That's where the passage is taking us. It's glorious. 
The devil had mankind in bondage, what we call slavery, laughing at us because of our fear of death. But Jesus in his death defeated death. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, on to the left in our Bibles. 2 Timothy, just a short way. All the T's are together. Timothy, uh, first of all, Thessalonians, then Timothy, and then Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'd like you to read verse 8 with me. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This, this is one of the many testimonies of Scripture that God gave a people grace before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, look at this, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He came for us, and he came and abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for us. This speaks of our union with Christ. Paul wrote of this in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. Not everyone can say that. The unbeliever cannot say that. Jesus died for his people, and the people of God can say, I have been crucified with with Christ. His death was my death, and yet I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope and trust you can say, I personally, I have been crucified with Christ. For the Christian, his death was our death, his burial was our burial, and his resurrection was our resurrection. And this is what is portrayed in baptism. We're saying by our volition, by what we believe, we're saying in baptism, his death was my death. I'm being identified with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In identifying with us, hear this, Jesus brought all his family with him. That's the emphasis as we go back to Hebrews chapter 2. He identified with us, the brothers, and he is proclaiming, this God, the God of the Lord Jesus, to us in the midst of the assembly. He is now identified with us totally. In verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he took of the same thing, flesh and blood. It's wonderful. He tasted death for us. He rose victorious for us. We are in him who has abolished death. As we continue reading in verse 14, we read these words, that through death he might destroy. It's interesting. The New American Standard Bible renders this, render powerless. Another version speaks of him neutralizing. He neutralized the devil so that he has no more power. Who? The one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil is a tyrant. He holds mankind captive in slavery. Rick Phillips writes this, Death is the rod of Satan's rule and the source of his laughter at our expense. This 
particular passage describes our condition. Through fear of death, we're subject to lifelong slavery. Again, Rick Phillips writes, Death is not merely an event that awaits us, but a power that rules us now. The leaven of futility that permeates all our achievements and denies our soul's peace and contentment. No matter what we have in our bank accounts, no matter what we achieve in this life, it's as if the devil snares uh, us by this fear of death and we, when the people go away and the applause stops and we look at our achievements, there's this voice, yeah, but you're going to die. Yeah, so what, you're going to die. Yeah, you got that, but so what, you're going to die. Jesus came into the world to abolish death to bring death to death. In his full identification with man, he suffered and died in the place of sinners to overthrow Satan's dominion and set captive humanity free from its bondage. You see, Jesus does not merely save us from a purposeless life or unhappiness or frustration or some kind of failure or dysfunction, but this is a great salvation. In fact, It's not that long ago we read of that in this text in Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it, from this great, great salvation. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And this is not a flimsy salvation. It's not something that you have for a little while and then can lose it like your car keys. Oh, I had it a few minutes ago, but I lost it. No, it's forever. It's not a flimsy salvation. It's a great and solid, permanent salvation. What would be the point of having eternal life for 10 minutes or even 10 years? Jesus is able to say, He who believes in me has eternal life. Praise the Lord. Salvation is not a luxury. It's vital beyond words. You and I need salvation in the ultimate sense, more than we need our next breath. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. The end book of our Bibles. Revelation chapter 12. Look at familiar words in verse 9. There's a depiction of the devil here. In verse 9, Revelation 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, his Messiah, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what he's doing even now, accusing the people of God before God. Verse 11, And they, that's the saints of God, have conquered him, not by their own doing, not by their own works, but by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. How did they conquer? By something they did know, something the Lamb had done for them in their place as their substitute. And by the word of their testimony. This is referring to the fact that they were testifying with their words the work of the Lamb. 
testifying to the wonders of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death for us. And by that they overcame the devil because the devil's accusation ceased in light of the cross of Jesus Christ where He cancelled out our sins now and forever. Praise the Lord. And the final phrase, for they loved not their lives unto even the death that they endured. This speaks of martyrdom. And I would say this, I don't believe the devil is afraid of those who are uncommitted Christians. These people laid down their lives for the testimony that they professed. For them, these precious saints, staying alive wasn't their number one priority. Doing the will of God was their first priority, whether that meant living or dying. Do you see? They gave up their lives in death because they were not in fear of death, for Jesus had conquered that fear for them, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. There we read that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Many can testify of the fact that this fear of death paralyzes, causes you not to do what you would normally do because paralysis of the heart has set in and the devil laughs. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Keep your place in Hebrews. We'll be back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I simply want to read familiar words to you to remind you of what Jesus has done. Paul is outlining the fact that the gospel involves the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And to deny the resurrection means that if that were the case, Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. We are in a futile state and still in our sins. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of almost all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is synonymous with the idea that there's more fruit to come. And Jesus was the first fruit. And all who are in him follow him in resurrection. Thank God. For as in Adam all die. Well, we need verse 21. For as by a man, that's Adam, came death, by a man, which was a confirmation of Genesis chapters 2 and 3. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, that's the Lord Jesus, has come the resurrection of the dead. And therefore, as in Adam, all die. If your federal head is Adam, you've only been born once into this world and have not been born again, you die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. All that are in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. See that? He's the first fruits and the rest of the fruit follows. 
Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Drop down to verse 48. As was the man of dust, that's Adam, so also are those who are of the dust. That's the sons of Adam. And as is the man of heaven, that's the Lord Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. That's the people of God. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, that's us according to our earthly frame, we're of flesh and blood, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We'll be like Jesus in his resurrection body. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the, perish the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, in other words. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's a lot faster than the blink of an eye. That just is the time it takes for light to encompass the eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the application. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Back to the book of Hebrews. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy, neutralize, render inoperative the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How are you doing with the prospect of death? The Christian is the only one who can look death right in the face and say, what of it? I'm walking through you to be with my Lord. Scripture says this, absent from the body, finish it for me, present with the Lord. There's not an intermediate state where some kind of purgatory takes place. This is absent from the body, present with the Lord. Not a three-week process, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Turn to Psalm 23. It was read earlier in our service. Psalm 23. I want to highlight a familiar verse. Long ago and far away, I was a mailman for a while in England. 
They don't call it the post office there, they call it the Royal Mail. All my lifetime, every stamp had the Queen's head on the stamp because you're actually, as a mailman, operating under the authority of the Queen. To mess with the mail is to mess with the Queen. She would take it personally. This year, I'm sure the stamps will change and we will have Charles on those stamps. But I was a mailman for a little while. I was uh, also in the ministry, but there were times like Paul did some tent making. I did some uh, mail work. I had a deliverance ministry. (laughs) And was delivering mail. Look at this. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Fear of death, Jesus abolished it. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. That's why. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you see that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are not promised that we won't see death. The last generation will not see death at the coming of Christ. Everyone else will walk through that valley. When I was a mailman, dogs were a problem. You want to deliver mail and you actually had to walk to the door and put the letters through some hole in the door. That's kind of how it worked. And to get to the door, you often had to get by the dog. I had a few run-ins with dogs, but I want to tell you my experience. Here it is. I was never bitten by the shadow of a dog. (laughs) There's no power in the shadow. And death, for the Christian, is just a shadow. And you walk through it, and you don't need to fear, for God is with you. Death for the Christian is a shadow. Take that, devil. His biggest weapon against us, and we can laugh in the face of it. The shadow of a dog never bit anyone. If you're taking notes, that'll be a strange thing to take home, wouldn't it? What'd you get out of the sermon? The shadow of a dog never bit anyone. Now hear this. Technically speaking, though we are interrelated as people with body and soul, you are actually not your body. You live in it. If you were to go to outer space, walk on the moon, you would need a space suit. And as long as that space suit is functioning properly, you can exist in space. And here on earth, we've been given earth suits. And as long as it is functioning, you're able to stay on planet earth. But for the Christian, should it fail, you leave your earth suit and are present with the Lord. And one day you'll have a new earth suit, a resurrection body. But guess what? You will still be you. Because you're not your body, not technically We'll recognize you because your resurrection body will look a lot like you, just very improved. Amen. Amen. 
One man said, we'll look exactly like him. Well, if Jesus was 33, one man said, we're going to look about 33. For some, that, if you're a teenager, you think, ooh. If you're 84, that's great. That's great. I don't know about that. I don't know if you can prove that biblically, but it's a nice idea, isn't it? Amen. Oh, to be 33 again. We'll be just like him, though. We'll have resurrection bodies and we'll still be you. You will still be you. People say, will we recognize each other in heaven? Well, will we recognize someone if we met in Dallas? Yeah, because Dallas is a real place and heaven is a real place and you will have a real resurrection body. You won't be floating on a cloud. You can't float on clouds here or there. Your body's your earth suit. Should it fail you here, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And death for the Christian is simply a doorway to life. I miss my mom. I don't think she misses earth. She's with the Lord. You'll have a new resurrection body and you will be able to see him forever, the one who saved you. Yet you will still be you. John Calvin writes this. It's from this fear, talking of the fear of death, that Christ has released us by undergoing our curse and thus taking away what was fearful in death. Although we must still meet death, let us nevertheless be calm and serene in living and dying when we have Christ going before us. That's the point of this passage. Christ so identified with us, the people of God, that he suffered in our place, endured the wrath that we deserved. In fact, the rest of this chapter will take us there with the word propitiation. He averted God's wrath by taking it on himself in our place and bore the full frontal force of that wrath in our place. That's what I deserved. I could stand beneath the cross and declare to everyone, that's what I deserve. I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But because of Christ and his atoning work, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2, 24. He absorbed the full wrath of God. He drank the cup to the dregs, to the very end. That which you and I deserved as sinners. God placing all our sins on his back. Our sins were laid on him, Isaiah said. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord, that's God himself, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he hung there in triumph, not in defeat. And on the cross, he was able to say, not eight days later when he'd come out of the grave and had looked a little bit better. No, even on the cross, he was able to say, it is finished, it is paid for, it is done, it is forever accomplished. Christ became what we are yet without sin and brought all that he identified with through death and burial and resurrection and to ascension so that Paul can now say, you as a Christian sit with Christ in heavenly places now. It's a past tense event. He's, he has raised us up and he's raised us up together with Christ 
to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your spiritual condition. Your body is just going to catch up with where, where you really are right now. Heaven is your home. Do we get this? If we do, we'll be forever set free from the fear of death. Not because we've got grit and determination and we're just going to nuke it out. We've got this amazing willpower. No, we've got an amazing Savior who identified with us totally and brought all his children through death and burial and resurrection so that we now sit with him now and he intercedes for us. This is a foolproof salvation. He prays for us, the ones he died for. He makes intercession for us and is always heard by the Father. He keeps us. Christmas carols come to mind and I think of this one, I'm sure you know of it. Could good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice now ye need not fear the grave Jesus Christ was born to save. May I encourage you, rather than trying to put off this fear of death, look it right in the eye and say, Death, is that the best you've got? I can look at you full in the face and see the strength and power of my Savior who has prepared my heart and mind for you one day because he has abolished death and your sting is gone. You can buzz all like you want to as a bee, but your sting is gone. Jesus took the stinger on himself and I have no more fear. Well, that's bold to say. I know it's bold to say, but as we renew our minds to what God says, guess what? Fear evaporates. So many times when we talk about faith, we concentrate on our faith. Oh, Lord, may my faith grow. Oh, Lord, may I just be uh, ongoing in my faith so that I'm a better Christian. Do you know how to get more faith? Look more at Jesus. Inwardly, there's not going to be some amazing hero you're going to find. Christianity has not developed the champion in you. No, but there is greater one in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the great one is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. Rather than trying to grow your faith, look at Jesus. Have faith in God. Get a hold of the idea of who God is from the Scripture that he might, un we might understand all that he is and faith just grows. How big he is. He's big enough to handle this thing called death and guess what he has. F.B. Meyer said this, Death, how shall they die who have already died in Christ? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm living, yet it's not really me living the Christian life. It's him. That specter of death may be following you on a dark, lonely road at night, but you don't need to fear. One day you will meet death, but you'll be holding the hand of Christ who has walked that pathway with you and for you. And he says, come my child. This is just a shadow.
You don't need to fear a shadow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the holy word of God. We thank you for Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and liberty and light to the people of God. The entrance of your word brings light that we might understand what our Savior has done. Not merely give us a flimsy salvation. Maybe this thing will work if I, if I, if I, no. It will work because he, because he, because he set us free by the truth. We shall know it. The truth will make us free. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.